Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Vergara. What's going on, everybody? We have Nick Gray back on the show, which is great because I actually just saw him a couple of days ago. We talk a little bit about this trip that we did with Motorola without talking about the thing that we're not supposed to talk about, of course. Uh, but yeah, it was nice to be able to see everybody again. And a lot of that's going to be happening over the next number of weeks because we have the MediaTek Summit coming up and then we have Qualcomm Tech Summit coming up. Uh, in the back half of this episode, we talk about those two events and what we can kind of expect from these major chip makers who now have more competition in the chip making realm with the likes of like Apple's Silicon and Google's Tensor in the mix now. Uh, that being said, the first half of the episode, we continue to react to the Pixel 6, and I finally reveal what I did to make the Pixel 6 Pro the phone that I have been using more and more often over the last number of days. With all of that said, let's go ahead and get into this episode of the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. Enjoy. I suppose, and why don't we just go ahead and start now then? I suppose the way that we can start this off is just by saying, hey, I just saw you like a, two days ago, <laughs> and, and then I'm going to be seeing you again about in a, a week. Thing that we can't talk about yet. Well, we can't talk about the thing, but we can talk about what we did, which is which was actually kind of pretty cool. Um, it's nice. You already had a taste of it because didn't you already go to an event with Motorola for like, was that one? Was the Yankees game The Edge? Yes, the okay. Yankees game was the edge. Yeah, I wasn't able to make was, it. What late late August? Yeah, uh, Issa and I were in Hawaii at the time, um, so uh, we I feel like we both had equal amounts of fun because of that. Um, but yeah, the uh, the edge. Uh, speaking of which, I actually finally got a unit, so I'm going to be checking it out pretty soon. Um, since I wasn't on that event, I totally whiffed and forgot about like getting a review unit. <laughs> so I finally emailed before you and I met up for another Moto thing last week. And uh, yeah, I was able to, uh, to to get the Moto Edge. Can you give me some thoughts on like, what, what, am, I, what am I expecting with this Edge? Uh, with the Edge, you're expecting, I would say, a mid-range device mm -hmm. with a flagship tier camera. We've oh. got the 108 megapixel camera that okay. we've seen on so many flagship tier devices now. It's that Sony sensor that everybody's using. Um, with mediocre camera hardware, so, sorry, mediocre camera software, and just a mid-range budget device as far as build quality goes. There's nothing really outstanding about the build quality of the phone. I mean, it does have a 144 hertz display but it's not the best 144 hertz display that's on the market and i'm guessing yeah, it's an really... ips display since it's 144 yeah it's mm. an ips display and plastic build all the way around and uh, it, the thing that gets me most is the pricing of this device it's a mid-range device selling for roughly 650 dollars with a mid-range chipset when especially now that we have a pixel 6 with a phenomenal camera a really good build quality and a 600 dollars price tag so it's one of those things where you know they were trying to hit a certain mark and then google kind of comes in right underneath them and says hey how about a, a true flagship device i mean it's not all the bells and whistles but not a mid-range device for sure and it's cheaper than what Motorola is offering. And honestly, a whole lot of other competitors as well. The difference is we don't have a lot of good budget-friendly devices or mid-range devices in the U.S. market. 
So it does stand out a little bit, mm-hmm. but when you compare it to everything else that we see from all the Chinese manufacturers with their mid-range devices, it's really lackluster. I do feel like that's a very common thread when it comes to a lot of the phones that we're seeing these days. Um, it wasn't until we started getting some pretty interesting new developments, and I'm talking, of course, about the Pixels, that we're now seeing some real differentiation, some real delineation among the different phones. Whereas in the past, uh, a lot of phones at a certain price range were just sort of, you knew what to expect. You didn't even really have to get it in your Mm -hmm. hands, and you kind of knew what to expect. Um, I'm looking forward to it, though. I know that the Edge still kind of makes a splash. Last year's Edge, I remember, was wasn't last year's Edge kind of like flagship tier, though? Or not flagship, yes, high-end Last year's tier. Edge was a flagship tier device. So it had a flagship tier chipset mm-hmm. on the inside. It had premium built on the outside, glass and metal. And this year is... And that's the thing. They're just calling this the Edge 2021. And it's not truly a successor to what we had the previous year. It's mm-hmm. a step down, honestly. Like, there's no reason why you should sell last year's device and buy this phone. Ah, I see. Uh, so with Moto doing that event at the end of August, we were invited to yet another one. And again, you know, just like as common as, as common as it is at these days, you know, we're going to sort of tease that there was a thing, but we're not able to talk about the thing, but it was kind of nice because I know for all of you, for the Yankees game, it was a way for everyone to sort of come back together and be able to see everybody again. Um, which was funny because Ethan, I completely missed the entire like reunion, (laughs) um, but then after you that, you chose to go on vacation instead. <laughs> this is true, uh, but yeah, like I got a taste of it this past few days with Moto, um, and it's it's great to see like excursions and activities happening again. And in our case, it was um, watching a show at Radio City Music Hall. Like I've known of the Rockettes. Like I'm I'm not I'm not uh, oblivious to uh, this this form of entertainment, even though it might be outside of my generation. But it was actually a pretty good time, I have to admit. Uh, aside from even aside from everybody coming together and watching this show together, the show itself was actually it was pretty cool. I'm like in the holiday spirit now because it was this the Christmas spectacular. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was the Rockettes Christmas spectacular, and my wife being a dancer, she was extremely mad at me simply for attending and she not being able to be there. Uh, which, you know, I. I it's one of those things you get to go to events like this and you get to partake in, you know, cultural experiences that you typically don't get to go to and see. And I was like, I'm not going to pass up going to the Rockettes and, you know, risk making my wife mad if I do go. <laughs> uh, so it, it's, you know, that there's that line there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good show. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Broadway productions and, you know, dance things like the Rockettes, but it, it was a good production. We had pretty good seats and being able to see the show up close and personal. And yeah, I mean, it's not my cup of tea, as you said, but it's one of those things where so many people see this every year and being able to just experience it like everybody else uh, was something that honestly, nobody was able to do last year because of COVID. And they, you know, they opened up Broadway again, probably what a month and a half ago. And so being able to see that in person, something that, you know, the whole world was shut down for so long and not yeah. being able to partake in cultural events like this. It was just nice to be in that setting. 
And it was very clear to me that the release of a specific smartphone, again, we're coming back to the pixels, as many shows and many pieces of content are still sort of focusing on these, and, and for good reason, because of what they bring to the table and the fact that Google finally came back with a flagship tier device, a high-end tier device. Uh, it was funny because, you know, while we can't talk about the Moto thing that we were taking a look at while we were at that trip, it was clear that everybody there was rocking them pixels. And since we're all reuniting, we're all going to be traveling again, especially once again very soon next week, which we'll talk about a little bit later. The the memories and the selfies and the social media posts that we're all going to be having are probably going to end up being either iPhone 13, one of those, or Pixel 6, one of those. Uh, and they're the reliable ones, uh, kind of bar none, when it comes to capturing these moments. And we all were doing that at that show at the Rockets. <laughs> Yeah, I think the fact that everybody was using a Pixel 6 or a Pixel 6 Pro is kind of indicative of where the quality is at. I mean, granted, it is the latest release device on the Android front. So, you know, those of us who are in the midst of the review cycle or just finished up a review cycle with that device, we're still rocking it since there's nothing else that they've moved over to. But honestly, like, it was the same thing with Pixel phones the past couple years as well, even though it wasn't the latest and greatest device as far as the specifications of the phone, it still offered that unique camera experience where you can just capture a shot and 99% of the time it's going to come out just as you wanted and making it perfect to, you know, share to social media, as you were saying, uh, or, you know, just capture videos for longevity's sake and have, you know, those memories years down the road. Yeah. Um, the, the pictures that I got. <laughs> so on the on the final night, I was able to go out with Daniel Wingett and Daniel Sin, and we went out to get some food together. Maybe even just after we got food with you guys, <laughs> uh, which is funny because like, like ditched us and like now we got another restaurant to go to. For the record, we did not ditch you. We all left at the same time. We just also had another thing to do after. <laughs> but yeah, the um, the the food. I I, I, brought, I came back uh, the next day yesterday uh with these pictures of like these soup dumplings and this chinese food that we got in new york because honestly that's one of the things that you should be doing when you go to a place like new york is like there's so much good food of all different types of cuisines and genres um and in our case we just you know obviously we go for our asian food and uh the pictures coming out of the pixel were were amazing but it was one of those few times that i actually sort of wish i brought my iphone or rather used my iPhone, because I did have it with me, but I wish I used it instead, because the Pixel 6 Pro, despite everything it's able to do, does not have a macro mode. And this is one of those few times that I was like, you know what? A macro shot of these dumplings probably would have been amazing. Did you try the zoom camera? I did. Um, it did a pretty good job, but I was just thinking to myself, like, I would love to get just like, because you bite a hole in a soup dumpling and then you drain the soup out. And I was like, I want to get a shot like in the <laughs> in the bite mark. Yeah, so I found it's it's a little bit disappointing that the Pixel 6 Pro doesn't have that macro mode like the iPhone 13 Pro does, being able to use the ultra-wide camera and, you know, get in so much closer. But from as far as a distance perspective, you're pretty much able to match that field of view with the zoom camera mm -hmm. on the Pixel 6 Pro with the, I would say, the advantage of not having the ultra-wide distortion that you get mm -hmm. uh it so the the focal length is still a little bit further away because of you know it is a zoom camera so you need to hold it you know about three to five inches away you're not able to get you know within an inch or so 
of your subject. But I think the images still turn out pretty good. I don't know if the low light capabilities are quite as good as the iPhone 13 Pro's ultra wide camera in low light situations, oh, especially you know in a restaurant at night, uh, you know situations like that where the lighting isn't necessarily optimal. But uh, I think you could still pull out something pretty good from the Pixel 6 Pro. Yeah, um, I, I was very impressed, and I actually took a couple of pictures earlier, just not even portrait mode pictures, but portraits of myself, because today marked a, mm -hmm. I'm going to a wedding tomorrow, I'm going to be seeing you and all of the homies again next week, and then we have a tech summit, a Qualcomm tech summit after that, uh, I decided it's probably finally time for me to chop this man bun off, and I, I did, so... <laughs> I took a couple of uh, 2X photos. I'll say portraits because that's what they actually are, but they weren't in portrait mode. Um, some 2X portraits uh, before and after, and I'm going to post it on Instagram in a little bit, which is why um, if Nick seems a little bit distracted sometimes, it's because I keep fixing my hair. I'm not used to this anymore. I, I keep looking at myself and I keep thinking like, I just kind of want to like just do this a little, just want to. You, you got to move it to the side a little bit. Yeah, or, I, <laughs> yeah. It's it's deviating from the look that I, I, I wanted to lock in. <laughs> anyway, um, back on the pixel. Uh there was one thing that I showed you, like we, you and I and Michael Fisher and one of our old buddies, Andrew Martinick, who's over now at, um, well, he was at Android Central. Uh, we were all hanging out. And since we were all rocking pixels, I had one question and it stemmed from our last episode when I was talking with Jaime. And I blame Jaime wholeheartedly for this, that he was the one who told me that he can't stand the look of the Google Pixel launcher anymore, given how material you has put it together. Now. From a functional standpoint, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that the screen is so big and Material U is a little bit specific about the way it renders everything that there's a lot of empty space. And once he said that, I couldn't unsee it. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you if you've run into this, what you've done to try to mitigate it. <laughs> yeah, and so we talked about it and it's not that the launcher gives you less space it's that specifically on the home screen, the main screen yes. that most of your apps are on, is you have the at-a-glance at widget, which is up on top, which takes up an entire row of icons. So Google gives you the option to do five by five icons on the home screen. But on that main screen, you only get four by five because the top row is completely taken up by the at-a-glance widget which you cannot turn off or remove you can turn off certain features of it but it'll always take off that top row which does make it quite annoying so if you have icons on the next screen over or widgets on the next screen over you can swipe over and you can see things way up at the very top and you're like oh that's how it's supposed to be uh it is kind of annoying i i don't know i Honestly, I, I'm the type of person who tries to put only the essential apps on my home screen. So I typically have one extra widget, usually a music widget or a weather widget, and then maybe two folders with apps and um, my media with sorry games and then my media apps, and then about five icons. I don't fill up the entire screen. Mm -hmm. So it's I don't know, it's hit or miss for me. I usually don't use that top row, but if I needed to, it would be extremely annoying not being able to do it. Well, I just feel like there should be some sort of scaling that's done here because 
like I'm just going to hold it up. I know that our viewers or listeners won't be able to actually see this, but like between these folders, and I tend to put folders in my doc, and that's the way that I get to my most used applications. There's just, I I would actually be fine with those folders and their subsequent icons being a little bit bigger so that there's less space between all of them, especially on a larger screen like this. It's just, it just feels like I'm reaching or the target points. Like if the target points on the, quick settings menu are going to be large that way I, there's no mistaking what i'm pressing i feel like the same should be able to go for the actual apps themselves the apps themselves are actually kind of tiny in comparison um and that just leaves a lot of space in between like this there's um i'm in the app drawer right now and if you look at a row of apps there's a lot of space underneath the word and the next icon there's a ton of space there so i don't mind these icons being bigger I, I don't know. I think at that point we're really nitpicking. I, I agree. Really, I agree. And it's really Jaime just telling nit- me, and I was just like, "Damn it, I can't unsee it now." <laughs> and if you're gonna be nitpicking like that, just install an alternate launcher, which is exactly I mean, what I did. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, if you're gonna be that specific about how much space you want between app rows and icons, really, you need full control, and no stock launcher is gonna be good for you. Well, the, the original Pixel launcher, I feel like, was just about right. And now I, I want to make one thing really clear. I actually really love Material U. From, uh, from, from a back-end standpoint, I think it's fantastic. The setting screen looks really awesome. It's very easy on the eyes. And then if you pick some sort of wallpaper and you want your general color areas to match it, you can do that. And that's great. Um, I am missing out on a little bit of material U by going to a different launcher and then going into the app drawer and not seeing the same. Uh, I have a different app drawer now, obviously, for having a different um, launcher. So I don't have the same colors, but the colors are still there in like the quick settings when I swipe down, notification shade, all that stuff. So I do still like it. On a very base level, material U is still cool. It's just the actual home screens themselves and the app drawer. Those are just the elements that I just feel a little bit, just a little bit, if, if, if people are going to say the settings and the quick settings are now bloated, I disagree. I actually think they're just fine. It's that the home screen and the app drawer need to catch up to it. They should, they could use a little bit of bloat if you ask me. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, I, I, I did go to a third party launcher, but I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I, I think Google can benefit from giving users a little bit more customization options. Indeed. Uh, we've seen so many customization options on third-party launchers uh, that are available through the Play Store and really the competition, you know, going from, you know, Samsung, Huawei, Motorola, no, I, Motorola not so much. Um, Samsung, Huawei, uh, especially um, uh, Xiaomi these days, they have so many customizations, customizations for their launcher, so much so that you can organize the app drawer by color of the icons which is kind of insane because you know (laughs) app developers can change the colors of their icons for their apps on a whim and which means all of your google apps are all going to be at the top because they all have white backgrounds which is kind of crazy but yeah i mean google could do a little bit better as far as giving us more customization options but honestly like we we have more than we have ever had so You know, they're baby steps into that direction. Um, but I also think, you know, they're they're trying to limit what they're giving consumers because so many times we complain over and over again. Yes, there's customization options, but there's just too much that you don't know what to do with it. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that we do have, like you said, we have way more than we've ever had. Uh, we could stand to get more. And if there's one place that I would want there to be more, it's in the always on display. Um, a little bit of customization there would be nice. Yeah, it's a it's a little stale there with the always on display. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with the I whole mean, it, like. It's not, it's not bad. It's just give me one or two more options. Yeah, and even then, like, I guess I might have been a little bit spoiled by a couple of other like mainly Samsung phones that allow you to have like a GIF there or a picture there or something like that. Uh, I was cl- I was definitely spoiled by the cover display of the Z Flip 3 where I had like a GIF playing at all times whenever mm-hmm. I checked the time. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I feel like, you know, it's, if that's the way the home screen and the app drawer are, I'm not, I, I, I know that I come off as very nitpicky about it, but I actually don't hate it. It's just that one of the joys of Android is the fact that you can customize it and actually completely replace something whenever you feel the need to. And what I really loved about this, uh, this moment, uh, despite my, kvetching over the home screens is that it made me go into the play store and actually look at other applications other third-party launchers and it made me realize more of them come out all the time and some of them are kind of fantastic well so which one are you using right now so it's called before launcher but there are a couple of reasons why it's very uh very interesting for me uh the the home screen itself is just text and just like with my regular home screens you can make what is on the home screen folders rather than just straight shortcuts to applications. Uh, There are no icons. uh, It's all just text. So it's very, as Fisher said while we were at dinner that night, it's a very Instagrammable looking um, launcher because like it's, it's got the, it's got the whole like, what's the, what's the name of the, um, the super trendy font that millennials used? uh, Is it Helvetica? It's got like that whole like. um, Helvetica. Yeah. Noir. Yeah. Kind of. It's got the, the bold. It's like someone from a from a marketing agency created a home a home screen to <laughs> make it look really simple. Um, it's like a, it, it, oh, I actually thought of a way to describe it. This looks like the front of a Soylent bottle because <laughs> it's just text and very like clean and minimalistic. Um, when you swipe over to the right, you get a you get your app drawer, which again you can uh, organize into folders and whatnot, but it's basically all text. This is where you see the icons though. So there are icons over on the left, uh, but it's all just a list of all of your applications. And then, um, what I did was I made folders. So I have various folders for the very key things that I use. So, uh, comms, I say communications, that's all the messaging apps tools. That would be like maps, um, password vaults, uh, uh, Tufa and, uh, authentication apps. Writing would be my Notion, Google Docs, my teleprompting app. Social, it's very self-explanatory. Media, that would be YouTube and podcasting. Browsing would be like the Chrome browser, Reddit. And then I have Google and camera. Google and camera are the only ones that are like direct shortcuts to those actual things. So that way I have kind of the same experience of like being able to easily get to the camera and also being uh, having an easy way of getting to Google Discover or Google Now. So I still mm-hmm. have like, this is, it's just my way of customizing this launcher to have more or less the same experience as before. However, quick thing, um, one final cool feature of this, which I've actually, it, you don't really realize how beneficial it is until you spend a few days with it, just like I did while we were in New York. Um, when you swipe over to the left, you have an area called filtered notifications. So you give before launcher access, uh, notification access, and you give it a bunch of applications that you deem most important. So in this case, it would be Gmail, uh, messaging apps, obviously Telegram, stuff like that. 
So you tell it, these are the most important notifications. And those still go to your notification shade. They're still there all the time. Perpetually, that's exactly where you go. Uh, no matter where you are in the app, that's where you go to check your notifications. Those are the most important things. Everything else, if a notification ever comes in for anything else that you did not check, it gets sent to this left-hand screen. And it's filtered out so that it doesn't clutter your notification shade. You only get the most important things there. And then it becomes a screen in and of itself for you to check the quote-unquote less important things. So I was like, that's pretty dope. I'm actually really into that. Um, it's a very young app, a very young launcher. Uh, that being said, um, I think they've done a pretty good job so far. Um, a little bit more customization, maybe some different fonts, some different scaling options would be nice. But that's so far so good. I mean, this is actually pretty dope. Uh, once I put this on, I, was, I found myself using the Pixel 6 Pro way more than my iPhone. Um, so I was like, okay, I can see the joys of android have reared their head again which i'm mm. i'm very appreciative of yeah one of the things that's been extremely annoying for me is notifications on android as in how many applications over the last year and a half to two years have added so many layers of notifications there's notifications on hey a friend of yours posted a comment on another friend's post on facebook who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't care about this. Why? And so, one of the things I wish Google would start carrying over when you transfer from one Android device to another is your notification settings for specific applications, because you can turn off notifications for certain apps. So, I have um, the only notifications I have on Facebook is if someone tags me in something. That's the only notification I get. Um, but every time I install Facebook on a new phone, I have to go in and after a day, go through all the notifications from all my apps and start turning off notif you know, the specific notifications that I don't want to receive. Yeah, exactly. That's a, and, that's a, and, that's a slog. That's a chore. That is a chore. And, you know, especially for us when we're going through new devices on a regular basis, like if, if I was keeping the same phone for a year, wouldn't be an issue at all. But, uh, you know, I'm changing phones all the time, just yeah. like you are. And, you know, everybody else who's in the same space as us. And it's one of those things where, you know, setting up the, a device has become easier and easier as time has gone on. But there's still things like this where it's fine tuning the device that still takes forever and a day in order to get it just right. Because by the time we're done with a review, after two weeks, we're you know moving on to another device and doing it all over again and spending all that time just trying to live with a phone that's you know constantly bombarding us with these notifications that we honestly don't care about. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but yeah, that's just... I, I'm looking forward to when I do my final contents on, uh, on the Pixels. And I'm going to just give you a whole section of it where I'm like... I had to do it, guys. I had to. <laughs> like, I just couldn't get past it at that point because, like, I was, I was, I realized that because the, the when Jaime started sort of going on his like long spiel about why he didn't like the spacing and the way that things were being rendered, it was less to do with how Material U actually renders everything and just more about the fact that it's trying to do so on such a large screen. Because Material U on the Pixel Five is actually kind of sublime. Like, it's really dope. And because it's not given so much screen real estate, it actually renders everything in a way that's a lot easier to manage. And I realized, like, I was giving I was giving the home screen on the Pixel 6 Pro a pass. I was just barely tolerating it, but I wasn't really loving it. 
Well, and so this goes to, you know, there's a new version of Android coming out uh, that's intended to have some customizations for larger screens, for tablets, and bringing the material you experience to tablets. Oh, yeah, is this the point something or the, was it the? Yeah, it's the 12 point whatever. I can't remember the number. Um, But one of the things I noticed with that is your complaint of things being spaced out too much they're continuing that on to the tablet version. And honestly, I think it's, while it may be annoying here when you're trying to look for information density and give you as much content within a smaller space as possible, when you stretch it out to a larger screen, this is what I love about the iPad, is that you go to the home screen on the iPad and you don't have room to put 112 apps on a screen like you do on Android. Like if you've picked up any Android tablet, you know you can go like eight by eight or 12 by 12 for the icons and just put as many things as possible. And it just looks horrible and cluttered and something that nobody should ever use in their life. It's like that person who saves all of their files to their desktop on their PC. Or on their right. Mac. You, you Have you seen the, the Mac ones? Because sometimes they're stacked on top of one another and it's ridiculous. They're, they're stacked on top of each <laughs> other. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It feels like that. And, you know, while Apple doesn't do the best job of using the screen real estate on its iPads, it's a more enjoyable experience because they've actually thought out how it's supposed to look, especially when you go from portrait to landscape. And now with widgets and iOS, you know, being able to scale those widgets properly. If you've ever used an Android tablet and put widgets on your home screen, especially third party third party widgets, not from the from the OEM, watch how they scale from portrait to landscape and on a 16 by 9 display. It is a horrible experience. You go mm. from one aspect ratio, being able to read what's on a on on a widget flip it the other way and it's like crunched up a half an inch and like spread out all across the top of you know all the the width of the full display of the tablet and you can't you can't read it you can't use it so i i think google's finally realizing there's need to be some limitations as to what we can do on the home screen and some space is good just because we have room doesn't mean we should put stuff in there all the time and let the content and the apps breathe a little bit. But to your point, on a display this large on the Pixel 6 Pro, when you have such a high pixel density, you might want a little bit more density yeah. of content. But they're, I don't know, you they have to pick and choose their battles there. And, you know, with this, asp- in this case, you know, having the icons be just a little bit bigger might have been the key or giving us control over the size of the widgets, which I don't know. Is there, I haven't even looked, is there an option within the settings to change the size of the widgets? Uh, I don't know about the size of the widgets, but I did play around with or Not uh, the widgets, the icons. Oh, the, the icons. Screen. I don't think so. Um, I was trying to mess around with it. The most you get is scaling the entire OS and then scaling the text. And then you can change what the something by something app grid is. So I, I went with four by five and yeah, like it wasn't great. And then I went, that was the other thing too. If you go like four by four or three by three, I think that's the lowest you can go. Dude, you, you're so just much missing space. It. If you just go to change the display size, it changes the size of your icons. It does, but then it changes everything else too. <laughs> well, I mean, it changes the size of your icon and the the text a little bit, but I mean, it, it, it takes up more of the space. 
It does. It's just the rest of the OS gets a little bit adjusted as well. And there's like, there's there's a sweet spot I'm looking for, and I just haven't found it yet is really what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, what you're trying to say is you're way too picky to find. I'm a little right bit picky because like, I would like larger target points for the icons while having more, more text density. Because like with a large screen like this, I'm the kind of person that will still go full resolution on a 13 inch display. <laughs> like I want all that space for my video editing. I want all that space for my everything else, you know? So like, you know, as for as long as I still have good eyesight or at least decent eyesight i do wear glasses i'm gonna make it kind of kind of kind of small <laughs> so this is my challenge to you once we're finished with this podcast go and change your display size to large and your font size to small i did do that for a while swi- i did switch do that back to the default launcher and see what that does for you i did do that for a little bit and it helped a little bit but i i was already down the rabbit hole of looking at other launchers <laughs> by that time <laughs> but you know i i have to say the ability for android to have custom launchers and you to find something that suits your needs is the beauty of the platform 100% so if if that's the rabbit hole you went down and you're happy with it then go for it yeah i'm doing pretty well with it and for any listeners who might be curious um it's called before launcher um i i did the whole i like nick just said i went down the whole rabbit hole i went to Reddit threads, I went to XDA, I went to all these places just to see what people were saying they've been like trying out as far as launchers are concerned. And before was pretty common among all of the responses. So I tried it out and now I'm pretty happy with it, especially with that notification um, area where it filters out the not important stuff. That's it's turned out to be a little bit more, it's one of those intangibles. Um, and once I kind of sat down and thought about it, I was like, oh yeah, I haven't been distracted by too many things. I don't feel like my notifications are actually cluttered because now things are literally filtered out. In any case, um, we're going to take a very short break and then just give a little bit of a teaser of cool things to come. Well, the travel is ramping up again and hopefully, um, hopefully these are all going to be like fantastically fun. Uh, but there is a lot of work to be done because After everything that has gone on this year, especially when it comes to silicon, when it comes to processors and whatnot, Apple Silicon, which I'm realizing is is the best way to describe it. I know we call it the M1, all that stuff, but like Apple's Silicon, because they have their Bionic chips, now they have their M chips. So yeah, it's Apple Silicon. So we have that, and then Pixel coming out with their own Silicon, um, or Google coming out with their own Silicon on the Pixels with Tensor and whatnot. Now we're going to be hearing about the responses to these via MediaTek and Qualcomm, which are the trips that are coming up. I This is such a, we don't know what is going to be announced. We don't know yet what is uh, what, what to expect at these things. What we do know, though, is that of these, of the many different types of like chipsets and whatnot that are out there, MediaTek and Qualcomm are still the largest, the two largest, two of the main players when it comes to a lot of products that we have in our daily lives. I guess my, I guess the way that I want to sort of tease what's coming up is like, what, what do you think we're going to hear from these companies as far as their response to everything that has happened in the last number of months? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to be with you next week at the MediaTek event, yeah. and it's going to be uh, as it was last time. It got canceled last year because of COVID, but it's going to be say, pretty much the same as what we attended two years ago, hopefully being able to hear from the executive team from the company and some of the, some of the product teams as well as they introduce their new chipsets for 2022, uh, expected to be... Uh, their flagship, the Dimensity 2000, and then, you know, a whole slew of mid-range 
chipsets, probably including 5G, which last time around, they kind of skirted around the 5Gs, uh, mainly because a lot of their chipsets were getting, were being used in Asian markets and markets in South America where 5G wasn't a dominant factor yet as it was here in the US. But with that, um, I mean, I, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard the news multiple times over the last couple months where MediaTek surpasses Qualcomm uh, during one quarter or a specific month as far as being uh, or selling the most chipsets for mobile devices. And I think this week as well, there was another news story as in uh, MediaTek being the number one uh, fabulous chip maker in, in the, I think globally. Um, and it, it's kind of surprising for those of us who follow high-end smartphone news because it's rare that we still see MediaTek chipsets inside of these flagship tier devices, and especially from some of the larger brands that sell in the US and European markets. But more and more, we're seeing MediaTek pop up here and there. Mm -hmm. And you know they have this huge dominant market in Asia and starting to dominate more in Europe as well. But we're slowly seeing it in the US where they're creeping in, they've crept into the budget segment, and now they're making their way into the mid-range segment pretty hard. And I think with the Dimensity 2000 chipset and some of the benchmarks that are starting to pop up with this chipset, it looks like we're going to have a true Qualcomm competitor that's going to go up against the, uh, it's going to be the 898 this year coming up. And having a chipset that will most likely be more power efficient than what Qualcomm delivers with pretty much the same or better performance on graphics and CPU compute is going to be a real game changer. And I would say we might actually have some flagship tier devices from major brands switching over to MediaTek within the next 12 months. That'd be pretty interesting for sure. Um, we were just talking about it during our trip recently that like the Dimensity chips do a really good job. Uh, they're, they're, I don't want to say that there's surprise is not the right term because that sounds a little bit facetious uh, in terms of MediaTek. Like, um, but the, the tides seem to be shifting, especially among our viewers and our readers and listeners, I hope, because it's one of those things where whenever we talk about like smartphones and whatnot and you say MediaTek, like immediately some people just sort of switch off because they just have this sort of like history of knowing that MediaTek has been the king of like budget and mid-range devices. So um, there's this weird, I want to say prejudice towards that term once it comes up in a video or a piece of content, um, which is kind of annoying because we know a lot better. Like the Dimensity chipsets mm -hmm. in particular do a wonderful job and they have been a part of some of the phones that we have actually given really high marks to. Um, the other thing too, um, and you mentioned like a lot of what you were saying is focused upon the smartphones, which is which is fine. That's that's what we mostly deal in. But the other thing is that um, I don't know if there's really a scale between the two. Um, I. I venture to say MediaTek might be a little bit more than Qualcomm in this regard, but it seems like we might be shifting into more of a 
let's take a look at what our product, what our, our chipsets actually power beyond the smartphone. And I actually have a perfect example. Like right before we got on this podcast, I was like hauling up a an Amazon Fire TV, and that is literally powered by a MediaTek chipset. This is the most recent. It was only a matter of time before Amazon went ahead and made a whole ass TV. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They used to just make the stick. Now they just make the whole dang thing. Um, and I brought it up to the office. I'm going to be checking it out over the next week or so before we um, before we uh, kick off all of this travel. Well, and I, I also want to mention, um, so we've been talking about MediaTek. Uh, I do need to disclose MediaTek is a sponsored partner of mine for Fandroid for our upcoming uh, holiday gift guide. And they're actually sponsoring the TV segment within the gift guide specifically to highlight Yes, uh, this is a uh, chipsets. Yeah, so I, I echo who, that as well. I have uh, the, the products I have in here that I'm talking about. They are sponsored. This podcast is not sponsored, by the way. I'm just we're just saying that we do have sponsored content on the way. Correct. And with that, though, like as they were sending me all the the materials for the TVs and you know what we're including for the gift guide and highlighting specific products. They wanted me to highlight three products specifically that were powered by MediaTek. But as I was going through my list of smart TVs for the smart TV section, 60 to 70% of the TVs that I was going to include that were not the ones they wanted me to include were powered by MediaTek. And they're, you know, among the best, most highly reviewed devices uh, within the category. And it just shows uh, just how prolific their chipsets are within the industry, not just smartphones, but from uh, earbuds, from smart displays, from tablets to Chromebooks to pretty much the entire category within, um, you know, the the technology segment and all the products that all of us buy all the time. More often than not, there's a MediaTek chipset inside of there, and we simply don't know about it. We just take it for granted that there's a chip and it's doing something. But usually when that's the case, it's a MediaTek chipset and it's it's doing this job, even though it's not, you know, it doesn't have MediaTek plastered on the side of the box like we see so many times with Qualcomm. True. Um, that has been uh, a movement of sorts that people like... Nick and myself have been pushing both of these companies to do is like, stop being so coy about it. Like (laughs) start saying that, you know, you power this stuff because people use it every Mm -hmm. freaking day. And like, while we are more than happy to be a part of the messaging and to like educate people that what they're, what they have in their hands or in some cases, like just sitting on their floor or on a TV stand or something like that might be powered by something that they don't realize and we're able to tell them that that's cool but they should also be putting in the effort as well to like get it all over that box yes. and that that was one of the key points you know we did a Q&A session with with their executives at the last MediaTech summit that we we attended and that I, I think multiple people within the industry brought up we see powered by Qualcomm all the time on all of these products i don't know how many earbuds i have that have Qualcomm plastered on the side of the box and Qualcomm does an extremely good job of working with their partners to say, Hey, let's call out this specific feature that's enabled by our chipset and let's put it on the side of the box. Mm-hmm. Mediatek has the same, if not better features m- many of the times, but they they just have not been good at that marketing standpoint. True. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, within the industry, just the general public has viewed MediaTek kind of as a second tier chip for their products, not because they're not as good, but because Qualcomm's been better at marketing. Mm. And that's really it. 
I mean, there's so much that these MediaTek chipsets can do. It's they just haven't been able to, you know, toot their own horn, you know, so to speak, to to get the word out there that hey, we can do the same thing. Yeah, indeed. Uh, shifting gears over to Qualcomm, we spent the first half of this show talking about the Pixel, and obviously, Pixel has the Tensor chip inside. So Google finally kind of moved on. And I don't think we ever really said it in the show, but it was not lost on us just how is the term snarky Google was being on stage when it came to talking about why they decided to finally make Tensor a reality? Because when they were talking about like voice, um, is it voice recognition, voice uh, speech to text and stuff like that? I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember what the, the modules were called, but the voice stuff when it comes to um, the pixels had to be powered by something that they made from the ground up. And then they said something along the lines of, um, we weren't able to do it on on the chips or whatever hardware we were using already, so we just had to do it ourselves. And I remember a bunch of people on Twitter were just like, ooh, burn. <laughs> like, um, do you think there's going to be some sort of like big response from from Qualcomm uh, in, the, in, in like a month from now, which is about the time that we're going to be hearing from them at Tech Summit? That's hard to say. I mean, Qualcomm and Google have worked together really closely for Indeed. all of these years. And Qualcomm is, you know, the de facto chipset for Android devices in so many different scenarios. But I think Google was looking for something different than we built a chip for Android. And Google, as we know, Google's doing so much with machine learning and AI these days that they need something specific. And if they have specific code that they are creating, being able to integrate that completely with the chipset itself. I mean, it also goes to the fact of not just, you know, the the machine learning that's used and the AI that's used for voice recognition, but doing the same with uh, video capture as they've done with photo capture. As you know, you know, when you capture a photo on a pixel device, it captures eight to 10 photos simultaneously and stitches them together for this great HDR artificially enhanced photo that gives you the highlights and the lowlights and merges them into a photo that really can compete with a lot of other flagship devices that have better camera hardware. But they weren't able to do that on the video side, not before they moved to this new chipset. So now they're doing pretty much the same thing on the video side, artificially enhancing every single frame. I think they said at up to 60 frames per second at 4K, they're able to do it on the fly with their new Tensor chipset, which is something they weren't able to do with, you know, the I'll say off the shelf components from Qualcomm mm-hmm. because they, I mean, they honestly are off the shelf. They They can be tweaked slightly by the OEMs with the different drivers that they're building for them but they're really off the shelf components and they couldn't pull off what they wanted to do. Their vision for video capture wasn't capable on what Qualcomm was delivering. And even voice, because that was the point that they were making the most. And if there's one thing that I've been, um, like I said, after putting this launcher on here, I've been using the phone way more, which includes some of the other features that I was just kind of like whiffing on actually using. Voice typing on the Pixel is incredible. Like that's how I was texting you earlier on the way to the office, and it was uh, it's 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 one of those aha moments that you can only really get as you continuously use a device, which is probably one of those reasons why. I mean, 
aside from the fact that I'm overwhelmed by the amount of work that I have to do, um, I will say there's a residual benefit, which is I get to get to know a device even more. Um, but yeah, the, uh, I think you make a good point that, you know, as far as, as far as the partnership is concerned, Qualcomm will continue to still like work really closely with Google. And because Android uses a lot of Qualcomm chipsets, same thing with MediaTek. I mean, we wouldn't really expect MediaTek to, to, to return the level of snark that was perceived on stage by the Google event. Uh, but with, when, when it comes to Qualcomm, I'm sure that they're going to have a lot of really great enhancements. I don't know that they'll call it the 898 though. <laughs> like, I don't know. Or nine. Yeah. I feel like 999 is going to end up being, they're just going to go all in on this weird naming convention they decided to go with. Yeah, who knows? I mean, the A88 was a, a good name. I don't know where you go from there in order to, to keep up the The A88 2021. It's going to be the worst one if they if they choose to do that. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I was trying to remember there was there was another point I wanted to make. Um, oh, yeah. The uh, When it comes to Qualcomm's response, I think that the other reason why I, I think you're right in terms of Qualcomm not necessarily feeling like they have to respond in a certain way is because maybe you can give me your thoughts on this notion. Google's it's not like Google's going to suddenly be a chip manufacturer. Like oh, no. yeah, they're not gonna have Tensor be available to the to anybody who's willing to buy it. You know, they're not the shelf maker. They're not the shelf. They're not the shelf. Is that the term you were going for earlier? Like off the shelf? Off the shelf, yeah. yeah. They're not the well, and so here, here's the thing: like the Google's made their own chipset to spec for specific things that they need, from AI to you know overall performance to you know working with the camera and doing the things that they need on that front. But there's so many other chip options that are out there. I mean, Exynos is technically available for anybody to use, except what there's two manufacturers that make maybe one or two phones a year using exynos chipsets mm -hmm. samsung can't you know give them away for you know for what it's worth and um you know just making a chipset itself is extremely hard it's extremely expensive and if granted google's not doing the manufacturing and you know i, I believe samsung's making the chipset for them and you know, there, there's so many different layers of complexity that I go in there that unless you are a top tier manufacturer with a huge chunk of the money and the market share, there's no way that you can pull that off. Agreed. And Google's not about to say, hey, we're going to start, you know, selling these to other OEMs. What we probably will see, though, is Google expanding their product portfolio with more of their own chipsets. You know, we, we might be seeing, you know, a Chromecast or a Google TV product with one of their own chipsets. You know, it might not be the same chipset. It might be a scaled down version, or we might be seeing Chromebooks. And I was about to say tablet. a Chromebook with Tensor on it. That'd be pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, a, a, a Pixel book with a Tensor chipset or yeah. a, a tablet from Google with a Tensor chipset, or maybe, hopefully, maybe that's mythical smartwatch that keeps everyone keeps hitting the rumor it. mills every now and then maybe that's going to be coming sometime too with a tensor chipset i mean we we it's speculation right sure. it's speculation from from me that something like that could be in the pipeline but having control of your own chipset means you have full control of your your ecosystem google already controls the software they do a really good job on that front it's the hardware that they've never really had control over and now they have more control than ever within the past couple of years with their pixel lineup 
but now they're finally getting more control with the chipset itself. Uh, I think to, to round it out, I mean, obviously this is all, a lot of what we're saying is basically just like what we kind of expect or maybe what we're speculating on for these upcoming events, which we're, I mean, it's too bad we're not going to see you for Qualcomm's Tech Summit, uh, but we do have a lot to look forward to as far as just like traveling in, 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 in general as concerned as we learn about these tech news, uh, learn about this tech news. Uh, but I think I can speak on behalf of pretty much everybody who might be on the show or listening to the show right now that now we have like four, maybe five, six major players in the silicon space and that's pretty cool um like the we were seeing the bubble of tech sort of get smaller and smaller and smaller and for the longest time it was like you know apple's in their own little silo or whatever you want to call it walled mm -hmm. garden and whatnot but aside from that we kind of had like samsung trying to penetrate it a little bit but it was mostly media tech and qualcomm and now we got tensor in the in the mix and now exynos has actually made a bit of a comeback outside of the u.s for sure but they made a little bit yeah. of a comeback um, who knows if Kieran is ever going to be as big as it once was expected to be, but these are all the players that are in here. And I, I like that what, cause even if they're not going to be super prolific, what tensor has brought to the table and what it has demonstrated that the pixels can do might move the needle with every other manufacturer. And one thing I like to point out is you get a whole lot of fanboys that will start comparing benchmarks and saying this chipset's better than that one. Yeah. All of these chipsets are more than powerful enough to play any game that you want, and then some. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, they might not be able to max out Genshin Impact at 120 frames per second, but do you really need 120 frames per second? Because 60 FPS is just fine. Uh, the uh, refresh rate is the difference between getting that final hit in or being blown away. Um, I don't mean a mock, uh, uh, because I'm also one of those people, but I'm not... I, I, I'm not as I'm not as nitpicky when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like I just want to enjoy my game, but it would be nice if it was as smooth as possible. That being said, that is true. When it comes to our processors, they are all capable of what they're capable of. The difference now is how you support said chipset. It's not that the chipset itself is powerful or not. It's that you mm -hmm. back it up with a fan or you give it a cooling system, or you give it yeah. better RAM usage, or you give it, you know, like a couple of other things. Like it's, that that's what gaming phones do. Um, and of course, when it comes to gaming phones, input is a whole big thing as well. Um, so like controllers and buttons and stuff like that. But yeah, it's how you support what's already there and what's already there is pretty dope. Yeah, and how you can enhance what the chipset makers are giving us because there's more than enough power to deliver a better gaming experience than what we can get on a Nintendo Switch. But you know what? A Nintendo Switch is freaking amazing, it's, right? Like just, just because of the hardware itself and the gaming experience that it delivers. And it's not just about the power of the console. It's about the overall gaming experience. And that's, that's where I think we can see more diversity within the Android ecosystem to give us better hardware for specific use cases. We're already getting some really good stuff, but we can go even better. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I just want this to be the, this is a tangent, but it'll be the final point. You mentioned the Switch. Yes, it is incredible. It is fun to use <laughs> and it's great. I have to admit though, that the, the, the performance hardware in it is starting to show some age. Like it's starting to really, because the Grand Theft Auto Definitive Edition finally came out and all of those games, every review that I've seen of those games says on PC, PS4, PS5, they're all pretty great. Xbox, 
Uh, on the Switch, it's what you expect. It's a lesser experience. I'm like, no, I wish we didn't have to say that. <laughs> well, but granted, the Switch should be getting like a chipset upgrade every two, like keep the hardware the same and give it a little bit of a tweak, but yeah. they should be giving it a chipset upgrade every two years. And it doesn't need to be the latest thing. Like you can put a Snapdragon 865 in it or something like that, and it would be amazing. Oh, and remember when twice, Nvi- it would be twice as powerful as it currently is. That reminds me, doesn't NVIDIA make like chipsets still kind of like we just never released Tegras, right? There's no Tegras in the yeah. wild. Well, in their own devices. Oh, okay. I thought that the in Switch the had a Tegra. Shield. I, thought the, I thought the Switch was using a Tegra now that I think about it. But it I, is, It's but it's it's like a five-year-old chip. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's a, it, it is a Tegra. It's a five-year-old Tegra. Uh, NVIDIA just needs to jump in and just be like, we made a chipset that has the power of an RTX 3080. <laughs> <laughs> what you just do, you, you get an RTX 3080 and you just strap on a screen on the side and put <laughs> Joy-Cons on the edges. And just, just keep hitting it with ice because that thing's gonna be hot as hell yeah it's gotta be plugged in the entire time (laughs) all right cool well nick thank you so much for being on the show once again i'm gonna be seeing you next week um but as far as next week's episode is concerned we are going to be at the media tech summit uh which is where we're actually going to be jaime and myself are going to be interviewing a couple of people during that event so super excited to bring you guys that content so with that said we'll see you next week for that episode and on this one we'll get into the outro starting now all of the links for myself, Nick Gray, and Fandroid are found in the show notes. Uh, you can find Pocket Now on PocketNow.com for all the latest headlines. Uh, find Pocket Now on social media and then get over to YouTube.com slash PocketNow for video content that's coming out pretty much every single day. We will be seeing you in our next episode of the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast where we interview a couple of people from the media tech side. Really looking forward to that. Jaime and I are on deck to conduct that interview and we will have it for you sometime soon. It actually, now that I think about it, may not be the exact next episode but we are doing that very soon basically in line with our next episode but in any case we will be reporting to you from the media tech summit in our next episode whether it's the interview or not with all that said i'm going to go ahead and call it on this one thank you so much for kicking it with us here at the pocket now weekly podcast uh see you in the next one